take your phones out. Um, a lot of us jumped in on this last week, but I'd like you to take a picture of this screen so you can access it during the sermon or later on. So feel free, you can take your phones out if they're in your pockets or purses or whatever, and just take a picture of this. We are in a month-long campaign, and it's a prayer campaign. It's not a giving campaign. It's not a, a project campaign. It's a prayer campaign. And the whole purpose and the reason why we, we want everyone to jump in on this is because we want our church, all the believers within this body, to be praying for the mission that we have that was going to be launching next September, which is going to be to plant a church in Morris. But we're not just doing this because we want to do it. We're not just doing this because it sounds like a good idea. We're doing this because we feel like God is directing us to do it. But we want to on-ramp as many believers in this church as possible to daily praying for it. So here's what you do. And some of you guys did this last week. You guys, um, and you got like a text every day around noon, right? And so what we're doing is this. We're sending out a text once a day at noon that's unique to that day. So each week we have a theme of what we're praying for, and each day is a unique thing to pray for at, at lunch. And you can know that you're praying for this alongside all the rest of the people at this church. And so it's super cool. It's also super cool because we're super cheap. We're paying for this service, but we're only paying for one month. And that's good news because at the end of this month, you're not going to get any more texts from us, okay? Because we don't want to pay for it. So we, we are paying for it now because we want to get as many people in this as possible. So please jump in on that. Also, make sure that you get a chance to uh, pick up one of these on your way out. Uh, this is the flip side. If you picked this up last week, we, we called them shower buddies, which is as awkward as it sounds. Uh, these are something that we started back when we were doing 360. And I think back then we uh, misspelled buddy. And we decided just to roll with it because we're grammatically incorrect and spelling challenged like that, and we're just going to go with it. So shower buddies, you can pick up these on your way out. You, you pick up a suction cup and one of these, you put it in your shower, you put it in your, in, in your uh, locker, you put it on your mirror, in your truck, whatever, so you can see this on a daily basis. And this week, October 13th through 19th, each day that you're taking a shower, you don't have to waste that shower just getting clean. You can actually pray during that shower, That pray that God will ignite in you a heart for the city of Morris and those are without Christ around you. So pick that up. Also, if you go to missionbible.church, you can go ahead and download the uh, screen, uh, lock screen uh, for your phone. If you, you'll just see that each day, every time you, you look at your phone. We look at our phones like a gazillion times a day. And so each time you do, you'll be reminded to pray, which would be amazing. So definitely check that out. I'm looking around and I'm seeing some people who went to homecoming last night. And I'm just so proud of you for actually making it to church. Let's give it up for those who, that was a, you danced your brains out and you're here. So um, this is ba basically the same thing. So let's keep going. We're actually in this series called Mission. And, and in Mission, we're, we're, this particular week, we're talking about this weird phenomenon that was happening that shouldn't be weird to the, the, the apostles because they saw it modeled by Jesus. But now Jesus has not only died on the cross, he's risen from the grave, and he's turned over the keys of what his work is, his kingdom work, to establish a new world, a new kingdom, a new way of living. And part of that was ushering in with miracles. And, 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 and we see that happen in the book of Acts. And we see the apostles, the people who were walking with Jesus, saw Jesus doing, uh, doing miracles, listening to Jesus teach. They actually are now seeing themselves do it minus Jesus physically being right by their side, which blows them away. And so in Acts chapter 5, we're going to be reading in verse 12 through 16. So if you could stand as we read this passage. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you want to borrow one, we have some in the back. If you don't have a Bible and you want to keep one, over at, like, over by the, the mission logo at the mission merch area, we've got Bibles over there. We sell a bunch of stuff over there. We're not selling the Bibles. Just take one, okay? Just take a Bible. They're free of charge. We'd love for you to have your own Bible. All right, chapter 5, 
verse 12 says this. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Why? We'll find out in just a sec. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. And so what we have in this passage is this crazy thing. Uh, we, we skipped over a section, and if you've been tracking with us each week, you, you know that we've skipped over this section. We got the shocking death of Ananias and Sapphira. That's in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, just before what we just read. And just to abbreviate what happened, you have this husband and wife, Ananias, the dude, Sapphira, the lady, and they're married, and they're watching all the generosity take place. We talked about that this new community of people following Jesus are all about generosity. These people, they, they kind of remotely cared for each other, but now they're like, they're actually selling their own investments and their own properties to help other people out in that, that early community of followers of Jesus. And it blew their mind. And the weird thing that they noticed was when people are giving, they're not less. Like when people are giving significant amount, they're like not like, like sad about it because they have this weird, profound psychological impact on their bodies and their lives from giving. And so Ananias and Sapphira are like, we want in on that. And so they says, okay, we are just so stoked about this. We are people selling their fields. Let's do that. We got a field. We're not doing anything with it. Let's sell it and we'll give 100% of it to God. Hey, everyone, we're going to sell our field and give 100% of it to God. Woohoo! And they decide to do that until they get thinking about it a little bit more. And they're like, 100% is a lot of percent. Like that's way more than, like, less than 100%. What if we keep some of it to ourselves? Which sounds financially responsible. I mean, seriously, maybe they were just super stoked. They got like on this spiritual high and they started making decisions that they probably should have gauged a little bit. So like, let's dial this back a little bit. And so we're going to give some, but we're not going to give all. And so like, that's cool. And so they go in and like, hey, we sold a field and we're giving you a a hundred percent. And actually, Sapphira wasn't there. Ananias shows up by himself first. And he gives what he gave, which was not a hundred percent, but he gives it anyway. To which Peter's like, are you serious? Why are you teaming up with Satan? Like, you, you're, you're not just lying to me. You're lying to God. And Ananias <laughs> drops dead. What? So they're dragging the body out. We've got to figure out where to put this. And all of a sudden, Sapphira, the wife, walks in. And she's like, hey, everyone, I am given the money from the field 100%. We agreed on that. And Peter's like, really? You, you're giving 100%? Oh, yeah. Giving 100%. Really? You, just like your husband, have teamed up with Satan. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You're not just lying to me. You're lying to God. Boom, she dies. And they drag her body out. Seems a little harsh. We've yet to do that at this church. And it seems a little harsh, too, because Peter, for crying out loud, Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times when it mattered most. And he's still breathing. So what's the deal? I mean, these people still gave. I mean, like, I, I, I get it. They were, they were lying. But what's the big deal? Like, why is this such a massive deal for a husband and wife to go their own way and not go God's way? I mean, can you think of another time in Scripture where something like this happened? Another time in Scripture where a husband and wife decided to team up with Satan, go against God, and brought death upon themselves. Oh yeah, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve decided to team up with Satan, go against God, go their own way, and because of that, they all of a sudden death comes on not only into the, to them, but the whole world. 
We now have the church getting launched. This is a brand new situation, and we don't know. We don't know why these people drop dead. We don't know if God's like, look, they're believers, but we're taking them out of the game early. Coach is calling them in early because they're going to poison the church if they maintain this idea that you can lie about stuff like this and live in such just uh, distance from God and, and with what you're saying and what you're actually doing. And so they, God takes them out of the equation. Maybe that's it. We don't know. But we do know that, 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 we, that this was not going to be something. The picture that we saw back in the garden was not going to be something that's going to launch this new world, this new kingdom, not this new church. That that wasn't going to be tolerated. And the, oddly enough, it, the cool thing is, is that we see, we, what we do know, as much as we don't know about that situation, is that is that shocking death is a counterpoint to what happens right after, which is what we just read. The shocking life. The signs that, that are signs because they're pointing to who Jesus is. Not how awesome Peter is or those guys, but how amazing Jesus is and the wonders. And, and really, what this is all about is healing miracles. Now, you may have grown up in a church where healing miracles was all over the place. You were all about that. Or you, maybe you're, you were connected to missionaries and you've heard about healing. Or you may have grown up in a church like I did where, honestly, nothing was healed ever. And, and so, like, the idea of healing seemed to be like this goofy, you know, fraudulent, phony thing that we want to distance ourselves from because we've seen it abused. And yet, and yet, if you're a Christian, you have three that you carry with you every single day that your world is starving for. And they don't know about it because you and I have dialed them back. Three, every single one of us have these. And I'll just tell you what they are right now and we'll unpack them. First off, you have the, you have the miracle that you were healed. That's a miracle. Second, that you know who heals. And third, that you pass on healing. These are the three miracles that each one of us that are followers of Jesus that have been rescued by his blood have. And let me just communicate what that's all about. Number one, you were healed. Take a look at verse 14. In the midst of all this, what's happening? Verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women were, who believed in the Lord, who, who, they believed in the Lord and were added to their number. First off, after the whole Ananias and Sapphira thing, people are adding to the number, but they're not like hanging out super tight with the apostles and Solomon's colonnade. Probably because of the death thing. Like that would be a good, like you don't put that on the flyer. Come and some people die. And it just doesn't go well. But these people, they're adding to their number. Why? They are, connect, they are hearing the gospel, the good news from Peter and these people who were tight with Jesus. And they're like, we want to be about this too. And that is healing. Now that's not as dramatic for us maybe as someone who couldn't walk all of a sudden being able to walk. But it's healing. In fact, in Jesus' economy, it's more important. Let me just say that one more time. In Jesus' economy and how he flows, how he rolls throughout his ministry, it's more important. Physical healing is not insignificant. Some people put it down, like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Jesus was out there going, hey, you're going through tough stuff, you're going through difficult times. Well, just put your trust in me. You're going to go to heaven one day. It's all going to be good. Just tough it out. That's not the message. The message of Jesus was not that your physical problems don't matter. In fact, Jesus went into situations and caused healing to happen because physical does matter. In fact, Jesus, he, he was going through. And the whole thing of what a miracle is, is this. A miracle is basically not something that's unnatural. It's Jesus returning something to its natural state. This guy was born blind. That's not God's dream for every human being, for them to be born blind. So what does he do? All of a sudden, this guy can, this guy can see. Why? Because he's, re he's rewinding the tape of all those stuff that sin did. Sin, the seed of sin all of a sudden breaks down all of civilization and everything has an expiration date. What does Jesus do in a healing miracle? Brings, rewinds the tape back to the way it was supposed to be. So this guy was born blind. He can see. This person can't walk. They can walk. 
This guy, he has, he's losing his hair because that happens. All of a sudden, and it's like it returning, rewinding the tape back to the way it was intended to be all along. Now, that's exciting. But what Jesus does in, in, in Mark chapter 2 is shows us the priority, though. I mean, he's, again, someone who says that one day we are going to be physically restored in eternity. It's not like, oh, we're just going to be spirits floating around. No, it's, our future is physical, and it's going to be a restored physicality. The things that your body has shortchanging on right now will not be a limitation, will not be a disability, will not be a handicap to you. Not one second more. It'll be gone. You will be restored if you're in him. That's the importance of physicality. But, when, but Jesus communicates how important spiritual healing is. We've got this situation where Jesus is in this house, and their homes were not this extravagant, massive houses. It's like a tiny, like, one-room one studio apartment type of thing, smaller than that. And so all the people are in there because the best of the best and the most religious elite are hanging around Jesus, hanging on his every word. And all of a sudden, you, they hear this sound. And they look up, and Jesus is trying to talk, and someone's vandalizing the house. And it's these guys that are up on the roof, and, let's, and they've got their friend. Let's just say their friend's name is Larry. Larry, he's never been able to walk. And they, want, they know Jesus can physically heal people. And so what they do is like, we got to get Larry to Jesus. There's no way into this house. It's super cramped. All the, the best of the best are in there. We're definitely not in that. So let's go ahead and figure out a way to get Larry down to Jesus. And so let's vandalize the house. I don't even care what it costs. And all of a sudden, Jesus is talking. As Jesus is talking, dirt's falling on his head. Branches are coming down. Why? Because Larry's buddies are getting him down. Get him down in there. And all of, you gotta, can you imagine how frustrating that was for people? You're disturbing Jesus' teaching. The most important thing that all of you need to... You know, if that's happening. All of a sudden, down comes Larry. Larry. And they're bringing him on down. And Larry gets down. And Jesus looks at Larry and says, You are healed and you can walk. No. He doesn't say that. He totally annoys Larry's friends by doing this. Your sins are forgiven. Well, cool, but we wouldn't have, like, destroyed the roof for that. I mean, you could have done that outside. We, we want you to touch him so you can heal Larry. Larry can't walk. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then all of a sudden, all the religious people in the room are like, I can't believe, they're thinking this, I can't believe that he said that. That's blasphemous. And here's the crazy thing. Of all the things that Jesus set aside in the incarnation, one thing he didn't set aside is the ability to read people's minds. So Jesus knows that they're saying this. And, and, they're, and, they're, and their brains, they're just like, I can't believe he said that. That this guy's sins are forgiven. That's awful. That's blasphemous. Only God can do that. I'm so glad he can't read minds because this would be super awkward. And then this happens. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Oh, busted. Which is easier to say this, to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. Now, we know that Jesus was going all over the place doing that type of thing, the latter. Get up and walk. You're healed. Boom, boom, boom. Which is, which is easier? The first statement, Jesus knew what that would cost. He knew what, what would be required to pull that off. It would require his sacrificial death on the cross. Listen to what he continues on saying. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like it. 
Now, as incredible as that was, and as much as I would probably lean on wanting to see the miraculous walking Larry, rather than Larry saying, hey, I became a Christian. Cool, Larry, that's awesome, but I see that every day. I don't see a guy who couldn't walk now being able to walk every day. But in Jesus' economy, this is the most important, and that's something that you carry with you. And, and it's something that actually we need to recognize the significant importance of that. You have crossed over from death to life. And that, that is massively important. There's a guy named Nick Olson. Um, he, he's someone that you'll see out here at the Celebrate Recovery t table. And he's not someone who was always out there at the Celebrate Recovery table for the past 10 years. He used to be just sitting in here. He would start showing up with his family, and then all of a sudden he's, he's, he's participating and now leading CR, this place where if you have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, you've got a welcome mat to be here and watch God healing you. And, and he's got a full story, and we're going to post it on our website and on Facebook so you can hear the whole story. I'm just going to show you five minutes of it because I don't have time to get into, like, just when he started drinking at an early age and got into pot and heroin and then meth and then started selling it because he needed money for that stuff and all, everything that led up to this point. But I'm just going to give you the middle of it because what you're going to hear, and I'm challenging you to listen for this, are you hearing just a testimony or are you hearing a healing? Listen to what he says. So I tried to push away. But these were the people, friends, and things I had surrounded myself with. Alcohol at this point was taking over and was destroying everything I knew to be good. It was drinking in excess, skipping meals, skipping out on my family, dealing with blackouts, had lost values and morals, and was letting my life pass me by. I was truly numbed by my addiction to alcohol and felt trapped. I was involved in a bad business and friendships that I could not escape and was constantly worried about how if I did leave these things, what would I do next? I rode the sobriety roller coaster until October 2016 when I finally had enough and decided to give it up for good. This effort lasted for two weeks until I relapsed hard at a work golf outing. I really don't know how I made it home that day, but somehow did. I was officially scum underneath rock bottom as I had missed out on a family party and was officially at my wit's end. My life had become full of shame, guilt, jealousy, greed, and remorse from 25 years of bad choices. But I was alive and finally mentally ready to start over. I attended my first AA meeting that week, but I hated it and I never went back. I thought I'm not like those people and don't need this. The truth of the matter was, and in my opinion, was far worse off than any person in that room. My family has started attending Minica Bible Church in April of 2017. My wife had been encouraging me to attend CR, to meet others like myself, but I was hesitant, although intrigued. I carried a CR business card around for months that I received from an NBC event and constantly read the CR info in the bulletins at church until January of 2018, when I finally gathered up the courage with my wife's support and I walked through the door. At the beginning of my recovery, I felt that I didn't need God. But while attending NBC, I had a spiritual encounter and have been fully reunited with him. It was like every week as I sat in the church, I was being blasted by the message of hope, as if God was speaking directly to me, telling me that I needed to repent and rebuild my life with him. My struggles were intense, but I was being told to confess my sins to him and to my one to love, so I did. John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's exactly what happened. And I was able to finally come out of my darkness and shame 
and guilt and begin to forgive myself and others. Isaiah 43:18 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. My past was behind me, and I was finally living one day at a time. Since restoring my relationship with God and accepting Jesus, I have seen many relationships grow. My wife and I share in our love and faith together more now than ever, and I have become the husband I was always meant to be. We are honest and open with one another and provide unconditional love and support to each other. I'm the father to my daughters that they need and a good male role model for them. I'm able to talk to others and look them in the eye and not away in shame. I've become quick to listen and slow to speak with others as I have learned this attribute through him. I've made lots of new friends at church and CR, which has been awesome to say the least. Today in my recovery, I do not desire the things of my past and know these events may not be forgotten, but they have been forgiven. And because of them, I am standing here before you today. Alcohol, drugs, toxic friendships, bad workplaces, lies, guilt, shame, jealousy, and hurt are, are finally gone from my life and have been replaced with hope, joy, love, compassion, and new beginnings. I no longer wake up feeling miserable each morning or find myself blacked out, hurting, lost, or craving drugs and alcohol. Today I try to reflect my walk with my talk, but it's not always easy. I attend church as a real Christian and pass along the message of hope and what it has done for my life and for my family. I am not quick to judge others as I was previously, and I'm working every day to become a better me. I know I'm not perfect, but God and I are working on me. I may fall down, but with my Savior's help, I can get up, brush myself off, and try again. I forgave myself because God has already forgiven me, and with his help, I can forgive in return. You got to check out the whole story. It's just crazy. But, I ha- but what we're, you're listening to is not a testimony. These aren't testimonies. These are healings that have taken place. Radical 180s that, that are, are profoundly amazing. I want to encourage you also, be here Thursday at 7 p.m. each week. If you have hurts, habits, or hang-ups that you need to walk alongside someone and not feel like a freak because of that, Celebrate Recovery is all about that. So drop in, drop in, drop in. Now here's the thing. Um, when it comes to the fact that you were healed, we have to realize this. A changed life can be far more dramatic than a restored body. If you think that it's not a huge deal that you have been healed spiritually, but you're still walking with a physical uh, malady, please understand that a changed life can be far more dramatic than a restored body. And this is why. If, if you were a somebody, if you were someone who you, throughout your life, you, you were someone that burned bridges with people, you cheated people, you were a jerk boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse, and you were awful to those that were in your family, and you struggled with debilitating arthritis, and all of a sudden God completely healed you of debilitating arthritis. And you continue being someone that cheated people, a jerk spouse, and someone who burned bridges with everyone around you. What is the point? Is the miracle of this healing that profound that people around you are going, look at how great God is. See, because I've seen people that have actually been walking their entire life with a debilitating illness, disease, or abnormality, and they've walked through their life, and they've actually been somebody who was a jerk spouse, burning bridges with the people around them, and cheating and stealing from everyone around them, and all of a sudden, Jesus met them, and then the script was flipped, 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 and they still had the malady. 
but their life was radically changed. And the world around them marveled. And sometimes at their funeral, the world marveled this, that a changed life can be far more dramatic than a restored body. If you're a Christian, the first thing that you're bringing into the world is that you were healed. Does your world know that? Does your world know that? I would encourage you to, to join Nick in being honest and, and open about the fact that that is one of the greatest healings and that, and that Jesus accomplished it, not yourself. But the second thing is that you know who heals. See, all these people that are showing up in verse 15 and 16, as a result, people brought the sick to the streets and laid them on beds and mats that at least Peter's shadow might fall on someone who passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and their tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. We see Jesus' mission of starting in Jerusalem, going out, taking place. And people from neighboring towns even are coming close to find out more about it. Why? Because Peter and John are so spectacular? No, because they know someone who is. Because Peter and John are healers? Well, only because they're connected to Jesus. You know someone who can heal. And one of the, the things that is just awful about our version of Christianity is often we downplay, dilute, and put on the back burner the fact that God still does miracles, physical miracles. We know the priority of them, but we, we oftentimes downplay that. We oftentimes tell people, we're, we don't tell people that we're going to pray for them because we're afraid that if we told someone that we're going to pray for them and they don't get better, that that person's going to walk away from God. And nowhere in Scripture do we have either the formula that if you pray, it's going, you're going to have healing happen. 100% of the time, it's going to happen. We also don't have the picture, don't ever bring someone's physical maladies before God because he's just not in the business of doing that anymore. As Christians, if you are next to people that are struggling in their marriage, who are you not to bring that marriage before the Heavenly Father who can heal things that you can't? If you're, if you're connected to people at work or at school who are, have been hit with a disease or, or, a, or a, some type of a symptom or they're going through something, who are you and who am I to actually say, you know what, I'm just going to let this person know, hey, I'm thinking about you. If there's anything I can do, let me know. There is something that you can do. You can bring that before the person who can actually heal. That's the second miracle that you have, the second healing miracle that you have in your capacity that you could bring into your world. And be bold about it. If you're talking with someone that's not a Christian, don't disregard the fact that they don't have the same faith as you. Say, listen, I know that you think that I'm probably nuts for being a Christian, but I actually care about the fact that you're struggling with this, and I want to pray for you. And I, I want to pray, pray to God about this. Is it okay if I pray this week for the thing that you're going through, the fact that you got that diagnosis? To which they're going to say, no, please don't. No! They're going to be like, okay. And if nothing happens, if the disease continues on, at minimum, they know that you're exhibiting the love of God who actually expresses that love to them, even though nothing happened. But if something does happen, miraculous, you think they're going to chalk it up to luck? Or are they going to have a, an on-ramp in to seeing the fact that this God is someone who has the capacity to heal? I put it this way, a biblical uh, perspective on healing, with regard to healing, a biblical Christian is a person who is a realistic optimist, embracing the real gravity and darkness of a situation, but possessing a hope that our Heavenly Father can do anything, and He just might. You serve a God who can. He does not always. And I got to say, uh, knowing people in this congregation who are walking with things they cannot, they wish that they could control, they wish that they could get out of their psyche, they wish that they could get out of their physical body, that, that is a setback, an ailment. And I am blown away at your faith and your courage as you stand here and sing to like today, 
God is so good. God, you're so good to me. You could stand here and sing the, the, the line you sang. How great, how strong. Now by your grace I stand. Healing is in your hand. And you could sing that time and time again as you continue to carry the difficulty that you have. That other people can't relate to. Not like you. You know the healer. He may heal you. And so we bring those prayers boldly before the throne. As a realistic optimist, we understand how grave the situation, how reality is what reality is. And yet we continue to bring our prayers and the issues of people around us before the throne because we know who heals. Amen? Amen. We don't give up on that. Our first, the first healing miracle that we bring is that we're healed. The second is that we know who heals. And the third is that we pass along to those around us healing. Um, one of the things that we have in the New Testament is this, that if you're a Christian, all of a sudden you've got the capacity to exhibit things like love when other people are just hateful. Peace when other people are just all about chaos and division. Patience when other people are, are just... You can actually dial it back. You've got the capacity to do that far beyond just your normal self because you've got that inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. These are things that are inside of you. You have the ability to flex, and that is a healing miracle that you bring into every broken and divisive and awful situation that we live in. And we live in those, in our families, in our schools, in our friends, in our workplaces. They're broken, they're shattered, and all of a sudden enters you. Not Jesus, but a follower of Jesus. Not the healer, but the person who knows the healer. And someone who, just because you're you in Christ, you have the ability to exhibit things that are healing, where other people look and just go, I don't understand how you could be going through this and have this perspective. I don't understand how you could actually sit here and, and, and forgive people that you shouldn't forgive. That happened just recently, and we we've, we've probably have all seen it. September 6, 2018. September 6, 2018. When an off-duty cop came, came off of 13 and a half hours of work and she was trying to spark up a romantic relationship with a partner, so she's sexting him and she's just totally like focused in on what she's doing to the point she's kind of distracted. And she's walking back to her, her apartment complex and walks into a, a, a particular apartment that's not her own because she's just totally distracted. She opens the door, she sees someone that she doesn't recognize sitting on the couch eating ice cream and kills him pulls her firearm and shoots him, and he dies. They initially thought that they were going to try her for manslaughter. This is, her name is Amber Geiger. And then all of a sudden they decide, no, this is murder. We need to take this to the highest level. And she gets tried for murder. And like a lot of judges do, they allow the family to, to say something to the person that took away the person in their life that they can never ever get back. And when I've heard those, and I've heard the pain and the tears and the anger from people, I got to be honest with you, I'm like, that's right. May that person hear those words in their ears, and let that echo for the rest of their life after what they did, after what they took away. And I chalked it up to righteous indignation. And I could have done that up until I got taken to school by Brant. Brant is the brother of Botham. Botham is the guy who was sitting on the couch who was shot by the off-duty cop who shot him without him doing anything except for sitting in his own house eating ice cream. And Brant took me to school when I, when I had a chance to hear how he responded to Amber Geiger, 
the person who took his brother away sitting in the courtroom. Listen. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. out because he should not have done that that was the most inappropriate unrealistic how how could he possibly have done that and a, and a lot like myself a lot of people like got super stoked about this we posted it and then and then um some people of color and and white people said well hold on a second you can't just jump to be super excited about this guy forgiving do you not realize how complex the situation is how the tension all the racial issues this isn't just a cop versus a citizen this is this is a, this is not just white versus a black this is like something that is so complicated and multi-layered you have no under, you have no depth of understanding how what that was you're just jumping right to the coolness of the forgiveness which that was a good check for me, and I agree with that. But that makes me be even more blown away by Brandt. 
because what he did was not human. It was not natural. It was supernatural. It was something that displayed something that a human being doesn't normally do. You don't respond to injustice with love and with grace. That's not human. You don't, you don't respond with someone who's taken your brother away and you'll never get him back with that. Unless you're someone who recognizes that you're bringing healing with you from Jesus. And if it would have stopped there, that'd be one thing, but it didn't. The judge, Judge uh, Tammy Kemp, she says to, to, uh, to Amber, she says, listen, now Brant, Botham's brother, has forgiven you. You need to get your, your life straight behind bars. Amber says, do you even think that's possible? Is there even possibility that my life could have any meaning after this? And the judge said, yes, Amber, I do believe that. Amber says, I don't even know where to start. I don't even have a Bible. And the judge said, I can take care of that. And she goes and she gets the courtroom Bible. And she brings it to Amber and she opens it up to John 3.16. And she reads words of healing over the offender. Over the person that rightfully got 10 years. Probably should have gotten more. But she reads over her. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The court brought grace, truth, and grace. And then she hugged her. And the world flipped out again. Now, I don't know about your world, but I got to be honest with you. you gotta, if you're a Christian, this is natural. Because you're connected to the healer. The apostles healed many, and they carried with them the healing and the forgiveness of Jesus, and they had the opportunity to display both. This is offensive to our culture. It's offensive to us, if we're honest. But like um, one guy on Twitter, his name is The Chocolate Knox. I love that name. It's so awesome. The Chocolate Knox said this, The one thing that has truly been proven by Brant John's model of the gospel and many others in his situation is that the gospel truly seems absolutely unfair and ridiculous. Now imagine if he has to serve her sentence for her. Can you hear those screams? Scandalous. You and I are part of scandalous grace that has healed us. We know the healer. We carry that healing with us. Your world is hungry for three healings. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have each one of these. Are you an ambassador of the healer? Are you an ambassador of Jesus? Are you bringing each one of them in your world? Does your world know that you've been rescued by Jesus? Does your world hear you bringing their issues before the throne, even if they don't believe? And are you someone who's an agent of healing in the brokenness of your world right now? Because if you're not, this is our opportunity to step up and do so. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. Lord God, this is a, a time in our, our nation's history that we're probably about as divided as we've been in a long time. But God, this is, it's happens in waves. We find things to pick apart and to separate on, some things that are incredibly legitimate and some things that are just trite. God, we're, we're a people that walk through the brokenness, both physically, physical brokenness and mental brokenness in our world. And God, in both situations, we need a healer. We need you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for your healing touch upon the people in this congregation, that the people that are believers will continue to walk in the healing of their souls, spirit, God, and their body, that their body will experience miracles, God, that we can point to you. And God, if you choose not to heal our body, give us the courage.
to clutch onto your hand and continue to walk, knowing that you are the restorer of all things, and we have that hope and that promise in you. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your desire to make the broken whole again. And you've done that in each one of our hearts. It's for your glory that we live. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. See you next week.